Welcome to this week's episode of Extraordinary Entrepreneurs Together, the podcast for entrepreneurs interested in fast growth and funding, powered by EHE Capital. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the EHE podcast. I've got a, as I say, a familiar face, but you haven't been on for a little while. I've got Gary and Ross here with me today. So hi, Gary. Hi, Ross. How are you both? I know you very well. Thank you. Very well. Looking forward to this. It's been ages, Gary, since you came on. <laughs> yes, well, I'm sure people prefer to listen to other people than my monitor. No, no. You've been, you've been a, a tough man to pin down. And Ross, we spoke to you recently, I think, didn't we? On We did some stuff around the book chapters, but other than that, I haven't, haven't had you on. So welcome back. Thank you for coming. Thank you, Gary. No, I'm looking forward to it. It's my first session with Gary as well, actually. Is it? Oh, oh my God. I thought we'd done all the combinations, but obviously we've still got some to go. So we're covering a topic again today that we covered the other week, but there's definitely a lot of different opinions, tales and mileage in it. So, and I really, I was really keen to get both of your, your views because I know you've talked very passionately about this. So we're going to talk again about the difference between good and bad investors. And we had some really good feedback and talking points. We'll link back to the first episode with Elliot and Pete. I suppose first open-ended question, Gary, over to you is there such thing as a bad investor yes <laughs> and that, that is a resounding absolute <laughs> yes on the basis that probably quickie 15 20 years ago i may have answered no because all i was looking for was the money with 20 years of experience of dealing with high sums of money and investors the answer is resounding yes because it's like everything else in life it's not just the money, it's what goes with it. And I think that's what we're going to try and uncover today to help entrepreneurs understand that it isn't just the money. You can really hamstring yourself, your life, and ruin it if you get the wrong investor. Because often entrepreneurs are spending a lot of time coming up with something that is unique in the marketplace or different, gone through a lot of sweat and hard work to get to a, a position if that's ruined by the wrong investor, then that's a pretty sad day. Yeah. Or sad, sad business. Ross, what's your your view? Another uh, resounding yes? Oh, definitely. Resounding <laughs> yes. Very similar to Gary, I think. Other things is when you're young, um, most entrepreneurs will come across one of the young individuals who are starting out and got some fantastic ideas. But I think as Gary's just alluded to that, you know, with extensive years experience, we've had the pitfalls and we've seen from our own experiences, what to watch out for and what to learn. And hopefully we can pass that knowledge across. I mean, we've probably got mountains of examples as to, you know, what's happened in the past. You know, and entrepreneurs do need to look for the money, but they also need to look for that that connection with the right people. I know we talked about that in the book. We've talked about that in previous podcasts. And, you know, getting that connection, we talk about due diligence, and I'm sure we'll pick that up a bit later on, but, entrepreneurs do need to look into who those investors are and, and why and are they aligned to their purpose and to their values. Well, thank you. So, Gary, we'll start with you then. An entrepreneur is just starting to think about investment and investors. What type of things should they be looking for when they're sort of shortlisting and selecting investors? Well, that's a really good point because when you start, unless you've got a, a fairly developed business, there's a lot of advisors that will help you. Okay, but they'll charge quite a lot of money for the money you raised, sometimes half a million, sometimes a million. So, you know, those more mature businesses are well served. What's not well served, and it's one of the reasons aren't 
EAT has been developed is to help the younger business assess investors in a more sophisticated way. And I'd say that's probably our, our USP, really, EAT, in that we come from an entrepreneurial point of view rather than an investor point of view, and that's quite different. So what should they look out for? Well, I'll just give a couple of quick ones. You know, sweet spot, they call it. What's your sweet spot? That's the classic statement of the question an entrepreneur should ask the investor. So, for example, if the entrepreneur is looking for £2 million as an equity check, they need to approach investors that are in that range. So, in other words, the range could be half a million to five million of an equity house or an investor house. So therefore, they're in the right spot. If you're talking to someone who's 20 million or 10 million, then clearly you're not in the right place. So don't waste your time. Find the investor range that you're looking for. And Ross, you can probably add to this in that, so what happens is, this is the big common mistake, and I did this myself, by the way, is that when an equity house says their check is, say, our sweet spot where we normally like to invest is a million quid. Let's use that as an example. Mm -hmm. That often can double up if you can get bank debt. That's the one that we all forget. So the equity check might be one million, but actually you might better get another million, 50% in bank debt. So actually their sweet spot is two, really. So if you can get bank debt into your business, now many tech companies, startups in particular, you can't. Well, that's one of the things that EHG is looking at quite seriously. That's not necessarily the case, but you need to put that into the equation because it can increase what you can raise. Ross, you're quite experienced on raising bank debt. It's probably not the starter, but you can. There are ways of doing it. There is, and I think it's always going to be back to, isn't it, the ask on where you are in terms of your journey on what, as an entrepreneur, you need and how can you scale it accordingly for as you were just giving that example there, Gary, around two million or one million, it could be that you may need to look for half a million and that needs to be an investor that's aligned to your values. But then within the clearly next six months, once you've got your proof of concept, once you've got your product out there, you're starting to generate a small bit of revenue. Bank debt can then start to feed in quite quickly. So don't give up too much early on. Yes. So that, that is another option for you. But as you just mentioned, we are looking at other creative ways of providing valuable sources of funds to the company. And we, we've talked about it in the book as well, haven't we now, in terms of options that are available out there. Mm-hmm. And, and there are more and more creative fund-making opportunities. It's not just about giving loads and loads of equity away for loads and loads of cash. It's, it is about getting the right balance and the journey of what you need to go through in your, in your early life cycle. Well, there's an interesting stat, actually. 80% of assets in the American S&P 500, which is a bit like the FTSE, 80% of assets are non-tangible, which is interesting. It's In other words, it's IP, it's mm-hmm. all kinds of other things that uh, people are starting to value in businesses rather than traditional bricks and mortar. And so that opens up a whole load of opportunities that we're trying to explore. But the point is, going back to the question is, you know, what do you need to look for? You need to approach somebody who can give you advice on where to get that money from. It might be equity because that's where everyone goes, you know, equity funding, but it might also be bank debt or other clever ways of getting access to money because the least you can give away in terms of equity, the better. Yeah. That's the key at, at an early stage because, 
as Ross says, you, you could probably have another couple of rounds where you have to give more away. So be careful at the beginning. Don't give too much away. So that's number one question, which is what's your sweet spot? Where are you? Because everyone thinks, oh, investors are investor. They're not. Investors are horses for courses. They, they invest in certain sectors. They have certain amounts. So you have to find a group of investors that fit you. And they are very specific about what they look for. The next question, if you've narrowed it down to people who are in your spot, the next question I would ask is, where are you in your investment cycle? So often equity funders have raised their money and they have a life cycle. It's normally around about five years, plus or minus, you know, one or two years, again, extension to seven. So if you're, and I've seen this in example, and the entrepreneur was what is called underwater. So in other words, there is no equity, no value. And this equity invested in the company and they were at the end of their life cycle. They never told the entrepreneur that. And so they sold them on somebody else cheap just to get rid of them at the end. Because they were at the end of a cycle, they just sold them off cheap with everyone underwater. Not a great position because they're at the end of the life cycle. So that's one of the questions but I would actually go deeper, ask that question and don't believe the answer. Okay. So whatever the answer is, go find out the answer yourself. And you can ask people in the industry, advisors or anyone, find out what the truth is. Sometimes they are public. So if, if a private equity house goes, they often say, oh, we've just raised 200 million or whatever the number is or 50 million. And you'll know when that is, what year it is. And they generally five year cycles. So if you're at the beginning of the cycle, it's fine, isn't it? Because you're likely to have grow the business within five years and then it'll all work fine. But if you're if they're investing you and they haven't done a particularly good job and they're in year four of the five year cycle, you you should ask some questions. That's a big one. Mm-hmm. Ross, anything else for you to add in terms of things to to look for? Well, I would always advise any entrepreneur that's is doing their own sort of personal due diligence. Exactly as guys just aligning to their and mm-hmm. the you know, doing some of your own background work, use the internet, stay in touch with advisors, people that you know. I think the other thing that I've always been cognizant of is people always promise the earth, but then deliver things a little bit too late. And you need to be comfortable as an entrepreneur that you are aligned to someone who can deliver. I've been in some places, and I think Gary, you and I have been, where they said, oh, we can do this deal in four weeks. And it took, I think it was about 20 uh, and and yeah. back to that interview that you're thinking, which is five times longer, is is sometimes quite troublesome for for an entrepreneur because they're they're looking at their model today. They're probably out of work, or they may be thinking of being out of work, or they've already invested a lot of their own personal time, and it's making sure you've got the right balance that you've got something you can execute quite quickly. So I would basically make sure that you know you're dealing with somebody who can execute quickly. I think that's one good thing about. What's so exciting about EHE is, is that we can evaluate that and make sure that we've got the right people who can be aligned to support an entrepreneur. But yeah, other things that, you know, I've always been quite cognizant of it in terms of looking at investors that they get you, they switched on, they, they understand what you are trying to do. A lot of the investors I've seen in the past to give lip service and they keep hearing, but all they're thinking about is just, well, I'm looking at the money maybe in three years, five years or seven years time. You want them to believe in what you are trying to do and ensure that you've got an alignment on 
what you are trying to do and, and they get it. I think, I think that's absolutely yeah. spot on loss. That's critical. You know, your vision, do they buy into your vision? Because mm. as you say, we've heard people say, yeah, 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 but really all they're interested in is the spreadsheet. Mm. The spreadsheet says X. And in fact, my own business at Build, we went to one investors, which I won't name. <laughs> they they analyse the business so much and they put it on the screen. And I was, I think Ross might have been sitting there as well. And they're playing back our business to me. And I'm going, no, it's nothing like that. I don't understand what's in front of me here. What are you talking about? Yeah. And they were saying things, oh, well, you derived this to get this price. But it's like, no, we didn't. The market told us what the bloody price was. Don't think we are that clever. You know, they just overanalyze everything. And if they don't get the vision that you have some special qualities, you and your management team and your product, they don't get that, of it can be really challenging. It can be really challenging. And so the other question I would ask, you know, I'll go with Rossi's, which is, I'll flip it the other way. Rossi's saying, you know, you've got to feel as though they share the vision. It's almost a gut feeling of the entrepreneur. Do I get on with these people? Do I trust them? There's a lot of that. Don't dismiss that. Do I like these people? And I think I could work with them on a board level anyway. That's a really key one. And then it goes to how much are they going to interfere? Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur, but that's the number one for me. How much are they going to interfere? And I'll tell you a good test of that. And I've, I've got experience of it, which is, do they appoint themselves, the investment director or the investor, as chairman? Or do they see an exec chairman as separate experience? But boom, that is critical. And the reason is, if you think they're going to interfere, they are absolutely going to interfere if they appoint themselves as chairman. Mm. Okay, They are absolutely, because they think, in other words, by doing that, they think they know the business and they can direct it. Wow, you've got a real problem there. If they appoint an independent chairman who's got sector experience and can support you, and you as the entrepreneur can appoint that one, whether you get on with them or not, or they give you a couple to go at, that says anything to me. They're trying to help and support you now rather than direct and channel you. And when you go to good and bad investors, that's a number one for an entrepreneur. Okay. That's a number one because you want them to provide money and support. You don't want them to take your job and provide strategic vision and direction because you have that. That's why they're investing. Now, don't mess it up. And I have seen both very clearly. That's the number one, really. Are they going to interfere? Who's the chairman? And do I have a say in it? Who Who is it? Is it one of them or is it an independent who's got sector experience? So I think right. that's key. Bro. I have the green loss. Yeah, but I think the other thing I'd like to add to that is, you know, an entrepreneur should believe in it's their business model, it's their financial plan. What I've seen with some investors is they try to interfere by saying, no, you've got your numbers wrong. You, you know, you need to do this. You need to take that out. That's just wrong. And yeah. I remember one that we had there, a guy where they were saying, no, you can't invest in this. You need to find different ways of investing the money. And Gary and I just basically said, no, that's just wrong. This is our model. You either back us or you don't. Yes, that's right. And I have to recall, they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and we didn't want them because we didn't want them. That's why we didn't, didn't want them. That's right. And, and you said it's like looking them in the whites of their eyes and believing that are they the right investor to help us deliver what we want to deliver? And they weren't. So we found someone else and we did. Yeah. We found the right people we didn't get interference uh, with. You know, they, they had the challenges. You want people to challenge you. You want people to 
asked the right questions and that I was referred to. Do you remember the old war chest of you referred to, Gary, which is, you know, yes. don't give them everything. Always hold a few things back because yeah. an investor will always keep asking for more and more. And once they've got it, they'll go, and where's some more? Yeah. <laughs> a- and so the first advice, if you have found the investor, is you have to hit your numbers at the first gate. And the first gate is normally the financial year. If you get your numbers in that first year, they'll leave you alone. No problems. If you don't, you can't be all world of pain. Hence, lost his war chest, which is keep the bloody war chest for unforeseen circumstances that you can roll out. Ross used to keep, wow, some good numbers. Ross was a great goalkeeper, brilliant goalkeeper. <laughs> Never let a known goal in. Always keep something back. Sure. Sure. I think we're, we're trying to share here for the entrepreneur. It's a bit like the investor is probably your most important employee. If you have that mindset, be a bit skeptical. So when they give you references, dig a bit deeper. Dig, mm. You know, don't just take their references of the great companies they invest. Find the bad ones. What are they really like? You know, and just be a little bit sceptical. And hopefully you'll have done all your diligence, as Ross says, and you've done social media checks and spoke to accountants and people in the industry, people that work with, people that, you know, gone well, haven't gone well. You'll find good stuff. You'll be have a good partner that backs up your gut feeling, but sometimes you don't. And that's where you need, you know, and that's the difficult one for the entrepreneur, which is I've now got some dirt on these people. Am I brave enough and confident enough to walk away when I haven't got an alternative? Big questions, big questions. And how, and and I, how you have walked away, is that what you're yes. saying? Yeah. yeah. I've, gambled, I've gambled everything on that. I can remember walking into a meeting. He was in London where most of the investors are. <laughs> No, there's only around Piccadilly. I go into Green Park Station and then I can walk anywhere. Anyway, I'm in a Costa just on the other side of Green Park. And this is a, God's truth. So we, the finance director the night before sent a bombshell, an absolute bombshell. So we're due to have a meeting with these investors in Piccadilly. And the night before, the fi- their finance director sent a absolute bombshell that actually kiboshed the deal. And he did it deliberately. So we had a team down in, in London who were all meeting. This was a key investor. And if we couldn't get the investor, we were in serious trouble. So what I said was, right, you guys stay in Costa. You're not coming to the meeting. You just stay there until I call you. So I waltzed into their office. It was Jermaine Street. And I got hold of the CEO. And he said, oh, well, where's everyone else? I said, they're not coming. The deal's off. And the deal was off on the basis of that email that, this guy sent last night and the CEO pretended, oh, what, what email? What email? He obviously asked for the bloody email to be sent, but it actually kiboshed the deal. He gave us so little that there was nothing there. And if we didn't get this deal, this was the end of the road for us. This was after about 30 or 40 investors. So we completely called the bluff. If he'd have gone, okay, the deal's off, understand, it's fine, walk away, we were done. But I gambled that on the fact that we couldn't do it on the deal that they presented. And he capitulated mm-hmm. and I rang everybody up, came through Costa down on the other side of the uh, the church and we had a good meeting, constructive, and ultimately we did the deal. It wasn't there and then, but you've got to be prepared to stick to your, your guns really. Otherwise, you're basically at their back and call all the time. You'll stand up to it. And interestingly, that saved, that, <laughs> that saved you best to try it again about mm, four years later. And I wriggled out of that one as well. And he said to me afterwards, <laughs> he, he said to me afterwards, he said, I thought I'd got you then. 
And I said, yeah, you bloody did. He said, I don't know how you found that other investor. I don't know how you did it. So it's a game. It's a game. It's a game and you've got to have strong beliefs and call people's bluffs because it's your business. It's important. You know all the tricks, Gary, don't you? <laughs> only only <laughs> the second only, book. Yes, only through personal scars. <laughs> yeah. They don't always work. They don't always but work. I think that, that leads us on really to to EHE, doesn't it? And and where EHE came from and, and how passionate you are and, and you as well, Russ, around protecting entrepreneurs from some of those kind of situations. So I just wondered if it's worth touching on kind of some of the the matching process we we go through and the types of investors that we take onto the platform to hopefully try and mitigate those types of things from from happening. Ross, do we, you you're quite close to kind of linking the entrepreneurs with the investors, so maybe you could talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, I think what we tried to do is is an early due diligence understanding of what the entrepreneur is trying to offer, making sure that what they are trying to offer, we get an understanding of what that message is. So once we can then analyze that quite quickly and we've got our tech platform to be able to do some of that uh, great workforce as well, which is learned from people like Elliot, Gary, Guy, myself, on what are the salient points. And then, of course, clearly the investors that we've got on our platform, we ask similar type of questions as to what they are looking for, how they want to invest, whether you know, they are wanting to support ESG type companies, tech style companies. And the idea for us, of course, clearly is making sure we've done that sort of background match. I call it, we call it match.com a little bit, don't we? In terms of how do we make sure that those alignments of vision, alignments of the platform and which areas they want to you know, operate within can come together. I think the big thing is, as Gary was talking about earlier on, you know, making sure that you're going to be dealing with Certain investors who, if they want to invest up to two million, then if they ask us five million, well, clearly that two million pound investor is not going to be on your radar as an entrepreneur. We've already done all that sort of hard work as EHG to make sure we don't bring it down to a, a group of people or a conglomerate of people that, you know, we've done recently on another investment. So yeah, I think the, the greatest thing that EHG can do is, is take a lot of that, that sort of pre-work that if you were doing this by yourself and just going out into the market and putting your your space in your CV or your, your investor pack out there to say, come and invest in, in us, will help the entrepreneur do a little that sort of matching quite quickly. It's what we offer. Just going to say, we have got the experience of people like Guy and Gary and you, yourselves and Elliot as well to to bounce those questions off if entrepreneurs are, are unsure or just get that second opinion as well, which is hugely reassuring, isn't it? It's it's massive. It's massive because it's a saying. You, know, you don't know what you don't know. So if you don't know how this investment will work, so they'll eat you alive, basically. So what we're set to do, EHE, is to help and guide the entrepreneur to get the right result. Really, you know, Ross has got massive examples. You can look at. You know, it's not. There's so much to it. So in other words, the entrepreneur comes forward and says, "Right, I'm offering this as investment," and Ross and Elliot can go, "Well." You're either smoking dope or, yeah, that sounds about right. Or, you know, you're miles off. You're going to get no investor to invest into this for that equity and that risk profile. What we need to do is go and do some this, that, and the other, come back, or actually that's about right, or can you change this? That information is just not out there to those young startup companies. It just isn't. Because, uh, go back to my first point, which is if you're doing 10 million turnover, you may be able to afford half a million fees of somebody to advise you. 
But as your startup or early stage, you just don't get that advice. And we're trying to bring that professional advice to startup entrepreneurs and early stage. That is a very, very powerful point, isn't it, Gary? Which is we're not trying to loan lots of costs for our entrepreneurs up front. Everything's all about aligning ourselves to the fast growth element, which yes. again, you know, we will provide our time, our experience. As you said before, now you asked the questions of Gary, Guy, you know, Elliot, myself, and the whole team, really, in terms of what, what we give them as insights to, you know, where, where we've got our scars and all of us have got definitely scars. Right? Yeah. Um, you know, to make sure that they don't, don't fall into those pitfalls. And one of the big things, of course, is labeling too much debt or too much cost in the early days because you want to get after your company and build it quickly. You know, and that's what we will do. That, that's yeah, that's a, that's critical. We take a percentage of the growth rather than any cost of front. Brilliant, thank you. I knew I, I knew you'd both be great at talking about this. I know it's something you you're both really passionate about, and it's great to have you back on, Gary. It must be quite therapeutic actually for both of you. It is. It just is. Just relive. <laughs> opened, hopefully, it hasn't opened any old wounds for you. But it's definitely something to worth to sharing with the entrepreneurs and talking about some of these things to to look out for. So, thank you both very much. Hopefully, we'll get Guy back on in a couple of weeks, and he can give us his views part three. And I've said it to the podcast; he has to. We we'll have to commit to it. So I'll get that, get that booked soon. He will do. And thank you both. Hopefully we'll see you soon. Okay. Thank you, darling. Thanks, Ross. Thanks, Bye-bye. Gary. Bye then. Thank you for listening to this episode of Extraordinary Entrepreneurs Together. Visit the EHE Capital website, ehe.capital, for further insights and to join the EHE community.